Come preach to me, my friend. You are set. You can take it out, pull it out, do whatever you want to do. I got seats right over there. Thank you. Well, praise the Lord. I am extremely honored to uh, be with you all tonight. Um, I I don't think I'll ever get over the nerves of standing in, in front of people and uh, being responsible uh, for sharing what I feel the Lord is speaking and uh, for this body, uh, for anybody that I stand uh, in front of. But I am thankful for the opportunity and I will do my best uh, to get through this quickly, I don't know if I'll preach or teach, uh, more or less just going to talk. I'm just going to be me tonight, is that all right? All right, I'm not wearing a tie, so I don't really feel the anointing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I'll preface, before we get started, um, that I uh, do not stand up here because I am perfect. Um, I am a graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. I have... Um, a doctorate, and I shouldn't have done that studies, <laughs> and uh, so I do not uh, stand up here to, uh, with uh, pride in, in all my accomplishments, um, but I do stand up here humbly before you just to share what some of the things that I've learned in leadership and how leadership uh, works for at least my experience, how it's worked in the church, um, and uh, in particular, how it uh, works in serving the, the man of God whom I serve under. Um, and so um, I just want to talk a little bit. And everyone here uh, may not necessarily hold a position, but maybe you desire to, uh, you're aspiring to, to hold a position or serve in some capacity in the church. And so um, if this may be a little ahead of your time, that's all right. It'll definitely give you some good pointers and some good things to uh, think about before stepping into that position. But just for a little while, I want to talk about uh, second chair leaders. Second chair leaders. Um, in Ephesians chapter number 4, in verse number 11, a very well-known scripture. reference verse number eight. Uh, we don't have to, to turn there, but it talks about the Lord uh, giving gifts to men. Uh, and then a few verses down and at 11, it starts to give a little insight to what those gifts to men were. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You can be seated. He gave gifts to mankind. So if you're in the house tonight and you're a teacher or you serve in some ministry capacity, you are a gift. You're a gift to the church. You're a gift to the body. And your pastor, our pastor, my pastor, is a gift to the body of Christ. It's a gift from God. And so I... I uh, I really want to just hit that home tonight, that you're a gift. You're necessary, you're needed for the growth and the maturing of the body. Um, 
But I'd like to focus on something often overlooked or sometimes even underappreciated and how we as second chair leaders, and when I say second chair leaders, I'm not necessarily, uh, in some church structures, there's an assistant pastor. I don't know how it is set up here, but our church, we have a lot of, uh, I would say, associate ministers, but there's really no title of assistant pastor. We have Pastor Blackshear and then the rest of the ministry team, and we serve um, Pastor Blackshear. And so if that's similar here, that's just kind of where I come from, so you can kind of filter in and out what applies or is applicable here. But second chair leaders really are just the leaders that serve under the man of God, that try to go after and fulfill and reach that vision that God has given him and do anything and everything that we can uh, to lighten the burden and make sure that he is successful in that. And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to serve under a man of God. And if you have that opportunity and you strive for that opportunity, you should be thankful when you're given that opportunity. Amen? Amen. But I do want to kind of start off, and like I said, I'm just going to be me, but when you think of Joshua, what comes to mind? This is not one of those gotchas moments, just what comes to mind when you think of Joshua? Jericho. We sing songs about it, right? Joshua always, most often anyway, is connected with the battle of Jericho and the great leadership and obviously him going into uh, the land and spying out and being one of the positive reports. And as I've said, we sing songs about his magnificent battle there at Jericho. But And, and to us, Joshua, really, he's kind of one of those triumphant warrior-type leaders But before he was ever a warrior, before he was ever a leader, to Moses, Joshua was a faithful servant who remained in the tabernacle when the cloudy pillar met Moses and spoke to him face to face as a man spoke to his friend, the scripture says. To the children of Israel, Joshua was one of the mighty, but to Moses, Joshua was a faithful minister who followed his leader his mentor, into the unknown, partway up the mountain. And there he waited alone for 40 days while Moses witnessed the glory of God. So when you think about Joshua, we always go right to the defining moments. We always go right to the the giant moments, the, the, the warrior moments, the leading in front moments. But long before Jericho, there was an opportunity to serve. I'll ask another question. When you think of Elisha, what comes to mind? Most often the response I hear is double portion anointing, double portion of miracles. And to us, Elisha was an incredibly gifted prophet of God, but to Elijah, Elisha was just a humble young man willing to kiss his mother and father goodbye for the sole purpose of becoming a servant. His intent in the beginning was not a double portion. It wasn't even to replace Elijah. I think sometimes we have too many Elishas wishing Elijah would just die already. But he just wanted to serve. 
To us, Elisha was the leader who accomplished double that of his mentor. But to Elijah, Elisha was a loyal follower, not willing to sacrifice his close proximity to his mentor, even in the event of his earthly departure. And I speak of these men because most often they're attributed to their triumphs. But long before the opportunity for triumph and for God to use them in that capacity, they served. I think sometimes we build, we talk about leadership, and the word leadership can be so vastly misunderstood. Leadership doesn't always mean I am the leader. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I'm out front. It doesn't mean everybody's following me. I I, uh, was just recently uh, approved for ordination, and one of the questions asked is, when are you going to pastor? And I'm, I feel safe to, to share this here because it, I, it was publicly asked and I, well, in that meeting anyway, and I responded, um, I'm just, I'm going to remain sensitive to the leading of the Lord. I get asked all the time, how come you're not pastoring a church? Because I was called to serve my pastor first. It'll come in time. I'm not worried about it. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's going to tell me and the man of God when it's time for me to step out on my own. Oh, but you're old enough. You've, you've got enough experience. You, you know, that's like climbing the corporate ladder of ministry. You, you're a youth president. You're getting ready to age out. That's the next phase. No. I, I really, I, I thought about it. I thought about it. I don't want to get too far off, but I thought about it for a little while. I thought, well, Lord, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm getting older now, and and that's what people expect. And I I had a long talk with the man of God, and I prayed before I had that talk with him. And I asked, I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm I'm doing all right, and I'm making you proud. Because my first, first calling is to serve you, Pastor. Now, people don't like that. You know, I'm not deifying the man of God, but I am honoring what those that did great exploits in the scriptures, just they did it, so I'm going to do it. Amen? And so I asked him, I, I hope that, that I'm not just sitting idle and you're just kind of quietly, you know, you know, hoping that one day the light bulb's going to come on and I'm going to want to go out and pastor or daughter work or something. And he said, no, if, if I thought that, believe me, you would have heard about it a long time ago. But I didn't feel that. I haven't felt, felt that shift. I feel like I have been given a choice, and God can bless me in many capacities, but why not serve the man of God just a little bit longer? Why not serve while I have the opportunity? Why not serve? I still got a lot to learn. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about serving our pastor while caring for the body of Christ. Um, this is something that people... Um, they, they give a lot of lip service to, but really, we don't like to serve. We like to be served. I, uh, I heard someone say to me, uh, it was during one of the little roundtable talks that we have with ministry every now and again, and, and they said, you know, it's, um, it's funny how people say, use me, Lord, and then they complain when they feel used. <laughs> I'm a servant of you, God, and then they get mad when they're treated like a slave. But I I have told my pastor, and not just in lip service, I am here to serve you. I feel like my first calling before anything else is to serve 
you. And I know I'm just following him as he follows Christ. I'm emulating him as he's looking unto the one, the author and the finisher of not just his faith, but my own. Amen? Amen. So I'm just going to share with you a few points that are not exclusive to me, and they're not even original to me, but several articles that I've read over the years, and one particular article several years ago that um, just sticks out and is very, very helpful in helping me navigate this ministry, this second chair ministry. There's nothing wrong with serving. A lot of times we look at Joshua and we look at Elisha and we see them as really young men, but the reality is that they weren't very young when they finally got that opportunity to step out on their own. And I realize time is short and we can do some great things at a young age and some are called early on. But the reality is, is if you're still sitting in that second chair, if you will, don't be discouraged. That's a just a beautiful opportunity to continue to stay in close proximity to the man of God and just absorb as much as you can. I've done this both in the corporate world as well as in ministry, but I'm like a sponge. I'm going to soak it up. But I can't soak it up and keep it for myself. I've got to share it. You ever had a sponge just hanging out, soaked up with water? Eventually it dries out. Got to soak it up again. But one particular thing that I would like to share is that we need to remain fiercely, and I, I mean that, fiercely loyal at all times. Loyalty is becoming extinct in a very fast-moving and morally eroding culture that we live in. It, even in the areas that, that, that you know, the rule America, if you will, it, the morals are eroding before our very eyes very quickly. One particular writer wrote, our grandparents drove the same Ford or GMC their whole lives. Many of them lived in the same towns that they grew up in, attended the same church that they were saved in, lived and died under the same pastoral ministry, and drank the same brand of coffee every morning. And I think about it, and I can remember the smell of Folgers at my grandparents' house. And a stack of flapjacks, they call them flapjacks, they were just tasteless pancakes <laughs> on the stove. I could, I, could, I could guarantee you that it was going to be there. I could bet on it. Now you fast forward to our generation, and we move from church to church, from city to city, from fad to fad, constantly moving next to the next big thing or to the next big idea. You ever, it never really occurs to us that we have embraced a culture of disloyalty. When I am no longer feeling it, it's time for me to move on down the road. I've learned a long time ago, I don't go off of what I feel, I go off of what I know. It's really not how God intended the church to operate. Uh, you know, the fierce independence um, is an admirable trait in the dog-eat-dog -dog world of corporate leadership. But in ministry, loyalty and faithfulness are absolute necessities. If we're to be successful in the kingdom of God, we have to be loyal and faithful. If I can't be loyal in the second chair position, then I can never expect loyalty from others when I find myself in a first chair position. 
So remain, if you're taking notes, remain fiercely loyal at all times. Be a dependable shield and a worthy confidant. Some will know this a little bit more than others. Some seem to be in a little bit more, they're a little closer to the pastor, uh, close proximity. I get called the teacher's pet a lot, um, but I'm just, uh, I'm a mechanic by trade, and so I fix things that are broken. They didn't ask me if I ever worked on it before. They just said, can you fix it? Yes, I can. I'm like Bob the Builder, just the John Cena version. (laughs) I was in the village, and someone said, are you John Cena? And I said, no, I'm not. But I I love being in close, close proximity to the man of God, and it provides me opportunity to, to see things that maybe not everybody else gets to see. And so this may fit for some, and maybe you feel like you're a little more distant. But again, don't be discouraged by that, because everyone plays an important role. But one of the most admirable roles is that we can fill as a second chair leader, if you will, is to shield our pastor from harm. We do have the ability to anticipate possible problems and in internal factions And do everything in our power to shield our pastor from the attack. It's necessary. We can do that. We can do this by guarding our words. By guarding our integrity. When someone wants to just confide in you. I'm, I'm calling safe place here. Well, it better be safe. It better be a safe conversation. Because if it starts to get out the boundary lines or step over a guardrail... Because I'm going to be a dependable shield. I can help catch some of those fiery darts that are intended for the man of God. So I can guard my words. I can guard my integrity. And if you're one of those close ones and your pastor confides in you, be sure to keep that confidence. Because I promise you, if you don't, you'll lose a level of trust that you really never can fully regain. But inevitably, when we do this, you'll notice that as you get closer, pastors have weaknesses. They have flaws. They have hang-ups. I love my pastor. I want to be in close proximity, as I've said a few times already tonight, as much as possible. And he often tells me, you know, be careful how close you get. You may not like what you see. But the closer I get, the more encouraged I am. Because when I see how human he really is, and I know how used of God he is, it says, wow, there, there really is hope for somebody like me. So it is our role, it is our opportunity as a second chair leader to pick up the slack in some of those areas where we know there may be a weakness or there is a gap in an area. If you're in ministry and you're assisting when pastor is away, you know where you can fill in. Uh, if you study the apostles, you'll notice that although they were greatly used of God, they had personality flaws. They often needed to be put in the hands of God many times. And our pastors are no less human, and, and they really deserve our fidelity. They really do. And uh, if you strengthen his weak areas, um, you'll, you'll find out that he'll return the favor when we're lacking. He does it already. 
All right. I know I'm starting to, but we got to be dependable. We have to be a, a dependable shield and a, and a really worthy confidant. The third thing, we have to avoid second-guessing our pastor. There are going to be times when I feel as though something should have been handled differently. I remember um, one particular issue, and I'm just going to be transparent. Uh, I'm accused sometimes of being too transparent, but <laughs> I, I'm just going to be me. I, I question the way we handled the whole COVID thing. Like, why, why are we canceling? Let, let's have church. But pastor felt a little bit differently. We had some elders in our church that were at risk, and he wasn't personally afraid, and nor was he causing us to fear, but he was just trying to maintain our public witness. We don't necessarily, we see right through some things because we've got some spiritual revelation and we thank God have some leaders who can give us some guidance in these areas, although it was, took a little bit of navigating for them too. But there was a world out there, people right across the street from our church who were genuinely terrified of what was happening. And there was no way we were going to win them by just calling them loose names and making fun of the way they thought. And so pastor really tried to maintain that public witness. And I had to walk up to him, and I did, and apologize. When my aunt died, and then another close friend died who was just 37 years old, just had bad lungs, and then some of the notable ones that all of us are familiar with. But when it started to hit home and attack my my own family, it changed my perspective. And I walked to the man of God and I said, I'm sorry that I disagreed with you. He didn't even know. <laughs> I just told him. I second guessed. Sometimes we think we can handle things better, handle it differently. That's oftentimes because we're not in the first chair, we're in the second. And sometimes we're not even in the second. We just want to let our opinion be known. <clears throat> sometimes we might even feel as though uh, we could have done something better, made it go smoother. Once more, we might even be right. I've been right at a few things. Like, mm, pastor felt differently. It's unhealthy to dwell in those emotions because submission really is only submission when you're in disagreement with the man of God. If I'm always in agreement, that's, that's easy. I'm thankful, but it's not submission. That's just obedience. He says, we're going this way. I agree. I'm, on, I'm obeying. But obedience and submission coupled together, that'll change things. When pastor says no, and I'm really feeling a yes. I was asked, and I won't share the, the details of an opportunity, uh, but I had an opportunity, um, and I, I really felt good about it. And I got no. No. That's a ministry killer. I really started looking at myself and started to question a lot of things, and I started to get a little angry. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, your loyalty is being tested right now. Don't you second guess. Don't you dwell on that emotion. Submit. Oh, but you're a full-grown adult. You're a man. Mm, I'm going I'm to continue. God honors us when we yield ourselves to our spiritual authority. Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 17 says what? Obey them that have rule over you and submit. See how it's separate there. Obeying 
and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I, uh, I'll tell you the story. It's kind of in my notes, but I, there was a particular leader in our church, and, and I'm really focusing on leadership, but if you aspire to it, just pay attention for a, a few moments. But he was looking at purchasing a house, and I just asked the question. It was just a question. I said, have you run that by a pastor? Have you, have you asked him what he thought? And he got angry, and he said, well, bless God, I, I didn't ask to buy the first house. Why am I asking his permission to buy the second one? And I, I, I stopped for a second, and I just let, him, I let it marinate. <laughs> I said, I didn't ask you if you had asked his permission. I had asked you if you had reached out to him to allow him to pastor you. And he looked at me kind of funny, and I learned this a long time ago. It says right here that they're going to stand, they're going to give an account. We trust the man of God to lead us to heaven. We trust the man of God to leave our families to heaven. But we don't trust him on where we should work, maybe the neighborhood we should live in, or maybe this is a good promotion or an opportunity, or maybe we shouldn't take it. If I trust him with standing before Almighty God and giving an account, I can trust him if he says, you know, he doesn't know anything about refrigeration, but I trust his spiritual judgment. I don't think that's a good environment for you to go to. That's all I needed to hear. I'm not going. I'll submit to it. I trust him with heaven. I trust him with eternity. I had better trust him with just about everything else. I'm not asking his permission. I'm old enough to make those decisions. But I am giving him opportunity to pastor me. He is the watchman on the wall. He has spiritual insight that I do not have. And sometimes I'm enticed by the green. I'm enticed about the neighborhood. Oh, this would be a good place for my kids. This would be a, an awesome opportunity. And he sees something in the future and says, mm, I just... I'm not feeling right about that. He, he preached a message one time and he looked at the congregation and he said to some of you, I'm just your Sunday morning preacher. But to the rest of you, I'm your pastor. I don't want him to be my Sunday morning preacher. I don't want him to be my Wednesday night Bible study teacher. I want him to be the shepherd that God called him to be. And one of the things that's significant about Elisha and Joshua is Moses didn't choose Joshua and Elijah didn't choose Elisha. God chose them. So if you're here under the man of God, then God chose you to be here under this particular shepherd. So we might as well just get on board with the vision and what he feels is right for us. All right, I got a little excited. Many times my pastor makes decisions and judgments based off informations and, 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 and facts that I'm not privy to. And if, if I'm walking in true humility, you know, if someone has to tell you they're humble, they're probably not that humble. <laughs> I was talking to a young man. He said, I'm the most humble person I know. And I said, well, I'm going to let that one marinate for a little while. It really is our job to humble ourselves, and God will elevate us. 
I think it was T.F. Tenney that said, and if you intend on doing God's job and elevating yourself, then he'll do your job and he'll humble you. I'd rather just be humble now. I don't want God to have to humble me. He'll do it through the man of God too. But if I'm truly humble and I've got to be willing to acknowledge that I don't always know what's best. As I said already, my pastor doesn't know anything about my technical job. But he does have spiritual insight that says, mm, I don't, I don't, that's not feeling right. I don't think that's a good move. It's the God called watchman. He's got a good vantage point. We need to learn to respect, value, and be considerate of the needs of the pastor as well as his family. It's extremely important that we as second chair leaders, the ministry of a church, are respectful of the needs of the pastor's family. Many pastor's kids and pastor's wives suffer the indignity of waiting on their father or spouse to finish lengthy conversations that were really dishonestly presented as only, I only need a moment of your time. If I could just get a minute of your time. Uh, we have a, we have like an LCCIA, like Brother Spencer, I'm pretty sure he's like a glorified murder for hire. <laughs> he takes his job very seriously. He's a gatekeeper. I shouldn't have said that last term. I apologize. But it, it just, he, he's a gatekeeper, but he will block the door to pastor's office on a Sunday morning. Because man of God needs to get behind the pulpit and he's in the office with his Bible open and you can hear him praying and getting a hold of God. He doesn't need to be bombarded with nonsense. I'm not saying every situation's nonsense, but the majority of the time, it's not just going to take a minute of his time. And he certainly doesn't need to be bombarded with it right before having to preach to the congregation. We don't know who's coming through those doors. Some of, the, some of the people that show up from our community, they need to hear a word from God. So we don't need to distract the man of God by saying, I just need a moment of your time. Especially on a Sunday morning. He had to apologize because he's very just, he's game mode. Like he's, I'm, I'm in it. And when he walks out, he, he has his little, uh, the hallway he walks down and he goes straight to his seat and uh, some people were turned off by that, and so he felt he had to address it. And the reality is, is he should have the luxury of being able to get to that pulpit. And you can see, as soon as he's done preaching, the burden is lifted. The word has gone forth. Those that needed to hear it have heard it without any distraction, without any influence, with all the issues. And then he's ready to talk. And then we're all ready to leave and go have lunch. <laughs> But even after that, we just really need to, to pay attention of that moment of your time. A considerate leader is sensitive to these things and learns to use the appropriate timing to make the important connections. If your pastor's family or just him and his wife uh, begin um, to just be bombarded, they'll begin to resent the constant interruptions and intrusions. And then you'll see that they'll eventually find you'll eventually find them cutting you off and then you feel disconnected like you you have been set out or set aside we really need to to work hard to identify the the proper times to make the lengthy connections 
uh, with our pastor. I, I'm a, a part of the ministry team, but I give him his space. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just telling you that I, can, I only know me. I only know my experience. And I know I can just by the facial expressions, he doesn't need to be bothered right now, even if I feel like it's an important thing. He needs to be left alone, and I'm not going to bother him after service because guess what? I'm already in close proximity. I'm going to give him opportunity to reach out to somebody else and to touch base with somebody else, and I'm going to send him a nice short text and say, when you have time, when you have time, call me. Well, what's good for you? Any time is good for me. Pastor, you call, and I'll make time. I'll make time. I don't know how many times I've been called, and I'm at the office. And, and I'll do everything I can. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't, but I'll do everything I can to drop the tools, tell the client, sorry, I got to go. They don't understand. I can't tell them I'm going to meet with my pastor because <laughs> they're like, whoa, what are you doing that for? But it's important. He just said it. it is absolutely important. So we need to respect value and be considerate of the needs of the pastoral family. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Don't be high maintenance. We cannot be high maintenance. If we're a leader or we aspire to be a leader, we cannot be high maintenance. Our pastors are bombarded with high maintenance people on a daily basis. Contrary to popular belief, they work more than one day a week. They work every day. I didn't know that growing up in church. I thought, man, I mean, I was best friends with the pastor's son and I was in his home a lot, but he was very private about a lot of things when he counseled people. And so we didn't get to see a lot of the, the, the bombardment. But what we, we just thought, I, I used to say, you're going to be the pastor, I'm going to be the assistant pastor, because that's the easiest job in the world. And now I'm in leadership, and I, I, I cringe sometimes at what he and she and their family have to go through on a daily basis. And they hurt with people, and they, 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 they take it personal when people walk away from God. You, you, it's hard not to take someone's personal with, uh, walk with God personal, but sometimes it happens. We feel an obligation. And so they're bombarded with high-maintenance people on a daily basis, and they certainly don't need close leadership or leadership in general, for that matter, adding to the chaos. I need to be one of those that... Brings a smile to his face, not a frown or a cringe. We have to remember our role. Our role is that of supporter. If I call myself a leader, really I'm calling myself a servant. I serve the Most High God. But in doing so, I also serve the man of God. I serve the ministry of God. So I have to remember that my role is that of supporter. And if I'm constantly adding to my pastor's stress level, then I am failing in that mission to support. Uh, Brother Gaddy, uh, I think it was last family camp. Maybe it was a couple before. Um, we got to sit in on a really incredible lesson. Um, and he talked, uh, the only thing that really stuck, I mean, a lot of things stuck out to me, but the one thing I haven't forgotten is, is he said, you could either be a drain or you can be a fountain. You can be a drain on the man of God. Or you could be a fountain. 
People are drawn to fountains. They're pretty. Ooh, look at that. They bring a smile to the... Nobody likes a drain. I get, I get accused all the time of, you know, just walking back and forth in the altar, but I won't lay my hands just on anybody. Now, I know, I, where, where are you going with that? Well, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm intentional because I've had people who really weren't serious in the altar, and I went and tried to pray for them, and I just, it zapped all my faith. It zapped everything that was in me. So I'm, I'm careful. I also have to be careful when I approach the man of God and the ministry and the church in general to make sure that I'm not a drain, that I'm being a fountain. That doesn't mean I don't have needs. I need to be cared for. I need to be conditioned. I need some instruction from time to time, but I'm certainly not so high maintenance that I am adding to the stress level because I, be, I want to be successful in that mission, to be a supporter to the man of God. When Jesus looks at the man of God and he says, how about brother and sister so-and-so? I want him to smile and say, now there's a guy. There's a couple. There's a family. It's going to go a long way. It will be profitable for us. Amen. We can turn to him and her for advice and guidance, but we have to really do so with care. And we've got to learn to moderate it as well. Learn to be respectful of his time, his privacy, his family, and his workload. As I have already said, they work seven days a week. All hours. I guarantee you that if you learn to value his time and really take this into consideration, your pastor is going to love you for it. He didn't tell me what to to teach, and I hope this is okay. And and I'm certainly not trying to cast shadow. You guys got an incredible... Church, I'm just trying to share what I've really felt like God put on my heart. So don't be high maintenance. Yeah, uh, my pastor said something to me, and it stuck with me, and I believe it wholeheartedly. If we do not respect our pastor's time, we do not respect our pastor. And oftentimes, this goes even for you. If people don't respect your time. Most often, they don't even respect you. We have to avoid telling our man of God, our pastor, how other pastors do things. (laughs) Every pastor has their own style and way of doing things. Most pastors have their own biblical perspective and how the church should operate, and and that's good. And I think that we have, at least in the apostolic faith, that we have a consensus, and people, uh, I think, are unified in the spirit. In, in the way we conduct church in, a, in, a, in as biblically uh, a close uh, perspective and way as possible. But they have, men are different. I grew up under a pastor for 30 years, and he was vastly different than the pastor I am under now. Um, I remember growing up and, and Pastor Thomas saying, I am not a micromanager. But that's all he did was micromanage. <laughs> And in a good way, he had the authority to do so. I'm not casting shadow on. I'm just saying he he prided himself that he was not a micromanager, but he was a micromanager. <laughs> and he was like a father to me, so it didn't bother me. People would get upset. Why don't you let him do that? Because he's Pastor Thomas. Yeah, he doesn't mean anything by it. I love it. Thankfully, he's paying attention to me. So when I met Pastor Jim Blackshear and he told me he wasn't a micromanager, I immediately judged him for the sins of the last one. <laughs> I said, oh, I know, I've heard that before. 
But then he wasn't. I really felt when I first came up that I, you know, youth leadership was behind me and I was going to go into discipleship and we were going to start discipleship and I had put this eight lesson, eight week lesson plan together and, and everything. And I had shared it with him at, at the uh, Taco King. I mean, and I had talked so much about it. He finished his food and then after, I thought he was going to say, man, this is really good. And he just said, are you going to eat that? <laughs> he was just like, because I was just sharing everything, why I felt like I was supposed to be here. And then he let me sit for three months. And he didn't say a word. And I thought I made the biggest mistake of my entire life. I said, I moved 2,500 miles away from home, left an associate minister position. I was serving on the youth board, and I come up here, and now I've done something wrong. And so I had a meeting with him. I said, can I meet with you? And I said, did I do something wrong? And he just kind of gave me that look, you know, no, what? What What are you talking about? And I said, well, I told you three months ago that I really felt a calling to discipleship. And he goes, yes, and I have been waiting. <laughs> and I said, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean? He said, I have been waiting. I told you I wasn't a micromanager. You said God called you to it. So why do I have to come find you and grab you by the collar of your shirt and lead you over to get you to start discipleship? Where's your lessons? And so I threw it out in front of him. He said, good, start next Sunday. It was that simple. He had a different style of pastoring when he said, I don't micromanage. That's exactly what he meant. But that that could also help somebody. If you feel like God's called you and you have the blessing of your pastor, don't sit idle. Make sure you're going to pastor's office saying, okay, I'm ready. Here's the lesson plan. I'm ready to go. I remember... Brother DeAndre, growing up, my youth pastor, I was outside talking with him before services back in California, and I remember Brother DeAndre coming, and he said, I have found my position and my calling in the church. And he said, I am going to be the outreach coordinator. He said, and I'm meeting with pastor tonight, and I'm going to become the outreach coordinator. And I can remember Kerry Wilson just sitting there, and he was a funny guy. I really enjoy even spending time with him now. And he responded, and he said, Hey, how about instead of waiting for the title, Brother DeAndre, why don't you just go out and win souls? And then when people think outreach, they think DeAndre, and then they automatically give you the title of outreach coordinator. Why do you have to have pastor give you that little stamp title? If you desire to serve with pastor's blessing and guidance, then serve. Be ready for it. I don't need that title. I don't need that little lapel pin that shows everybody that I am the outreach coordinator. I'm just going to reach souls every time I'm at the Fred Meyer or the cars or the gas station. And so when people think outreach, they think me. So we really do have to avoid telling. I don't know how I got on that. Sorry. I, we have to avoid telling our pastor how other pastors do things. And we cannot judge our pastor because we sat under another man of God and we liked their style a little bit better. God obviously saw fit to take you out from the leadership of that man of God and put you under one that you didn't necessarily agree with because you probably needed to learn a little bit about submission. <laughs> I, was very, I had a very practical approach to living for God. I was told, you take care of Tom and, Jesus, and you and Jesus are good. Ties, offering, and missions. Take care of Tom. And you keep your nose clean. And there's a lot of drugs in where I grew up. And so that was just kind of a saying. And so we just, it was very practical. We don't go looking for a fight. We don't go looking to cast out devils. Pastor Blackshear is not that man. Spiritual warfare is, we're all up in that business. And so when I came, it was, it was like, oh, it makes sense. 
it wasn't just to start discipleship or move back into youth leadership. It was so I could sit under a man of God who was going to show me the other side of this whole thing. Nothing against the first man of God because I learned a lot of really, really good things. But God said, okay, now I need to stretch you a little bit. You're getting, I'm getting too comfortable. You're getting a little too comfortable. I need to move you over here. We can't judge them. We can't judge ourselves either. And it really leads us into the next and the last thing is don't be a copycat. Don't be a copycat. I remember when I first came up and I, Pastor Blackshear, every time he opens the Bible, it's like, it's a masterpiece. It's like a Van Gogh. It just, and I'm over here with like finger paints. <laughs> He's got the voice. He gets loud and it's like the voice of God. I get loud and I sound like Mickey Mouse. Brother Justin told me, he's like, you ever realize the higher, the louder you get, the higher your pitched voice you get? And I think, no, but thanks for telling me because now I have something else to worry about <laughs> when I'm preaching. But pastor would give me opportunity to speak and I would become, I, I started to become almost a carbon copy, copycat, trying to bring it like pastor who's been doing it for 30 plus years. Pastor never had to say anything to me. I th think he was kind of tickled by it. The, the rest of the body wasn't. They endured me <laughs> for a little while. I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't emulate our pastor's leadership. We really should. We should take on some of his characteristics. But it is okay to be you. It is okay to be me. And I remember one, one low point as I was getting prepared for another uh, uh, message in and the Lord, uh, you know, I said, Lord, I just want to preach a revelatory word like pastor does when he gets up. And he said, I never called you to preach a revelatory word. I called you to preach my gospel. I, I heard his voice very clear. And in that, you are preaching a revelatory word. But not that deep, you know, woo, out there stuff. Where pastor can just kind of, you know, he just, he moves in it. And then I sat down with the pastor, and I, I tell him everything. I'm just, I'm open. I'm an open book, whether you want to read me or not. <laughs> I'm judging that one by the cover. <laughs> but I told him, I said, I, I, I really, and I, I'm, we're almost done. I'm coming to a close. But I, I told him, I said, I, I just want to preach like you. He said, I'm like 25 years your senior. He said, what you really should stop doing is judging how you preach against how I preach now. Because you didn't know me when I was your age and where I was. He said, you just be thankful for the growth that you have personally. So don't be a copycat. Be you. Emulate pastor's leadership. Take on his characteristics. But don't be afraid to be you. They ought to know that you're somehow related, but you shouldn't be an identical twin. Identical preacher, an identical leader. In fact, the differences are often refreshing for a congregation. It has been said that the variety is, that variety rather, is the spice of life. You and I and our unique qualities really will endear others to us. Copycats, they become disingenuous and plastic over time. 
God, God never intended for us to be spiritual robots, and we certainly shouldn't do that either. And the man of God has never asked us to be. Sometimes we just think that that's the way we should be. And so with this, there's some tentacles to this octopus of not being a copycat. And something I felt to share, and if it fits, then, then take it. If it doesn't, then you can pass it on to your neighbor. <coughs> but I, I don't act as if I'm him. I am careful to remind the body that I care for, as well as the flesh that I live in, that I am not the pastor. Somebody needs to say that to themselves in their reflection in the mirror every morning. I am not the pastor. This means when my pastor takes a sabbatical and I'm tasked with filling in for pastor, I do not make decisions and judgment calls as if I'm the pastor. Rather, I see myself for who I really am as an extension of my pastor. And I ask myself constantly in the moments of importance, what would pastor do if he were here? And if I don't have a clear-cut answer, I don't decide to do anything. I don't move forward without first sleeping on it. Now, our pastor, he broke his foot and took some time away. And I won't even call it a sabbatical because his phone was still on. It takes, they say, about seven days for a pastor to unplug. So seven days just really isn't long enough. When they leave for a season, you, you know how job and how taxing and stressful your job can be. How long does it take you to unplug when you go on vacation? I know how it's for me. My wife's excited six months before. She's got everything packed. And I don't have anything packed until two hours before the flight. And I'm not feeling it until I'm on the plane. And the plane's airborne, and I know we've left the airport. Okay, I'm on vacation. But when pastor takes a sabbatical and I'm tasked to fill in, I don't make decisions as if I'm the pastor. I really do ask myself, what would pastor do? When I'm confronted with a very important situation as a, as a youth minister, a student pastor, I, I, will, I will say, what would pastor do? And if I don't have a clear-cut answer, I will run it by him. I let the kids know, hey, I am a safe spot for you, but I will let you know for one thing's for sure. I'm going to share just about everything with pastor. I tell them right off the bat, if they don't like that, then I guess they're just not going to have to like that. Because guess what? I don't know everything, and I'm not the pastor. And guess what? I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for you. This man of God is going to do it. So he, he needs to know some things sometimes, even when you don't want to tell him. I'm not the pastor. I'm just an extension. We have to remind ourselves. We call it sneaker preach at home, but I, for a long time I wasn't allowed to give announcements because I always had a, a word. <laughs> I was sneaker preach. And, and when, when pastor is away, we find out that every minister has got a sneaker preach. One time we had three altar calls in one service. And I was supposed to preach, and I said, I realize I'm third string today. And everyone kind of laughed, but it was the truth. We were all trying to take the position. But the reality is, is some of us need to 
really look in the mirror and tell ourselves, I am not the pastor. I am an extension of his ministry. He is my mentor. He is my man of God. He is my shepherd. And I'm going to do what I feel like he would do. And this also means that when pastor returns from a sabbatical, that I remain present and accounted for. I'm being transparent tonight, and I don't know if this is being recorded, but if it is, it's all right, because it's the truth anyhow. But it doesn't do the pastor well, and it certainly doesn't do the body well when there is a topsy-turvy, missing each other, we're not in sync, we're out of sync, connecting of leadership and the man of God. It really does a disservice to the body, but it ultimately does a disservice to the man of God. And I only know this by experience. I told you I went to the School of Hard Knocks, and I have an honorary doctorate in the studies of shouldn't have done that. But pastor would step away for whatever duties that he was required to do, and I would step into that position and I would handle the day-to-day or what I felt was the day-to-day, but really it was all the little trickle that he did allow me to. There was so much more beyond that. But then he would come back, and I would say to myself, okay, it's my turn. I'm tired. I have felt the burden, and now I need to step away for a little while. And he would text me, where are you at? I don't see you. What's going on? I I, 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 I'm over here, I'm doing this, or, or I'm not going to make it this, this Wednesday, or I'm not going to be there Sunday. I know you've been gone for a few weeks, but I, I, I really need some time away. I'm overwhelmed. And he said, it's, it, it, he said something to me that was so convicting. He said, you know, um, sabbaticals and time away, whether it's for, for work or searching the mind of God or, or vision casting or whatever the case may be, he said, I, I, I come back renewed rejuvenated, with fresh revelation. But it's like someone pulls the rug out from under me when my pillars aren't here. When I stand on the platform and I'm the only minister in the building, I feel like I'm, in a way, uncovered. Now, this man of God can take care of everything on his own, but there's no harmony in that. I don't want to be a copycat. Everything he gets to do, I get to do. I remember one particular conversation I had with a lady, and and she said, well, you should be able to take time off, and you should be able to do this because pastor does it. And I said, when I have a record like he does, then I'll be worried about the time that I can take off. I don't experience the spiritual hardships that he does. I don't have to deal with all the onslaught of the enemy as well as all the problems and issues of the church like he does, and yet he's here Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Friday after Friday. He's here on Monday nights. When I have a record like his, then I'll be worried about what I'm allowed to do simply because the man of God does it. The man of God needs his foundation, his pillars, if you will. He can preach the power of God down without the leadership present, but it is so much more harmonious when the leadership is. 
Because there may be some in the crowd that says, I'm not really getting what you're putting down, but there's plenty of leaders that know, hey, that man, that man of God had an encounter with Jesus this past couple of weeks. And, well, you just keep preaching it, Pastor. I can still remember being the only one in the congregation saying, go ahead, Pastor. Amen, Pastor. And nobody else getting it. That's exactly what the man of God needs. He needs to know that when he shows up to the house of God, that he's got some pillars that aren't here today and gone tomorrow but they're always consistent, always ready to prop up the arms of the man of God as he preaches, thus saith the Lord. So if you've been playing copycat, stop it. There's a, yeah, never mind, I won't go into that. And I close with this, and I apologize for taking too long, and we will hopefully still have time for questions I'll hopefully give you answers, but in the orchestra of ministry, this is not something that God gave me, but it is something that was taught to me, and I'm going to share it with you. In the orchestra of ministry, there is a first and there is a second violin, and both are necessary for harmony, both. The first can play without the second, but it lacks harmony. In the congregation, we're talking about growing as a church body, edifying the body of Christ the way God saw fit. That's why he gave gifts, not a gift, gifts, gifts, plural. That means the preachers and the pastors and the teachers work together. Now, God saw fit to put the pastor in the authoritative role. So I, as a teacher, as a preacher, am going to follow the plan of God. I believe in the plan of God when it comes to salvation. I believe in the plan of God and the structure of the church. He, put the pa- he said, I'm going to give you pastors after my own heart. I'm going to give them to you. And as he ascended, he said, I'm going to give gifts to men. And he did. We know him as the fivefold ministry. But there is a first and there is a second violin. And they are necessary for harmony. Something's off. You ever been listening to music? And I, I do like classical music. Um, and you can just hear sometimes when, when it's off. Something's not right. It's not harmonious. Sure, the first violin can play and lead solo, but it lacks the harmony that God had designed for his body. When asked what the most difficult instrument in the orchestra is, Leonard Bernstein responded, the second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, now that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, the orchestra lacks harmony. And I kind of change it up. We can find plenty of people who desire to play pastor. I want to pastor myself. I want to pastor you. I want to pastor somebody else. But finding someone who's willing to play servant with humility and loyalty and reverence for the gift that God has given us, that's a hard find. And we really do run the risk of a lack of harmony in the church when we seek first chair. Oh, I would never say that. No, I, I wouldn't either. But sometimes our actions speak far louder than our words. Jesus, we love you, God. We thank you.
for your word tonight, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord God, to look into ourselves tonight, Lord Jesus. Only you, Lord God, the creator, know us better than ourselves, Lord Jesus. And I ask God, whatever the issue might be, you bring it to the forefront, God. Whether I'm lacking harmony, I'm trying to pastor myself, I, being a copycat, or, or I'm falling into any of these other issues, God, I, I, I want you to bring it to the forefront of my mind that I can change, Lord God, and make some declarations today, Lord Jesus, because I want to be a supporter to the man of God. I want to go as he goes, Lord God. I want to follow as he leads, Lord Jesus, and I want to do as he asks, Lord God. I ask, Lord Jesus, that those that hear the word tonight, God, whether they feel it's for them or not, that you would not leave them, Lord Jesus, but in those moments when their loyalty is tested, when their submission is tested, Lord God, that they'll be reminded of this lesson, Lord Jesus, and make a solid declaration then and there that I will follow the man of God as he follows Christ. I want to be a good leader that brings a smile to the man of God. I want to be a good leader that brings a smile to the face of the Lord. I want to be a good leader that helps edify the body. And I do that when I support the man of God. I'm going to be present and I'm going to be helpful and I'm going to be in a, in a, in a mentality of a willingness to please. I, I, I want to please my pastor because in pleasing my pastor, I please everybody else around me and I please God. Yeah. Amen. I really do thank you for the opportunity. I don't know how you typically close out or if we just go right into Q&A, but you can be seated and I'll let Brother Quayle take it from here. Thank you again. Praise the Lord. That was good, Brother Mulligan. Thank you so much. That was good. Very rich. Praise God. I, I just... Wrote about a hundred notes I'd love to add. <laughs> I'm just glad you're here. I'd, I'd like to give this an opportunity. Someone has a question for Brother Mulligan about being second chair. Somebody. Ned did an awesome job. Amen. Amen. That's um, I, I remember Brother Mulligan playing the trumpet when I was young. And uh, playing second chair, and uh, and I remember just playing that. And when you played it by yourself, it didn't sound like anything. It didn't sound like the great hit you were going to play. But when it was played with the first chair, it sounded awesome. And Paul talked about there's one body, but there's many members, and everybody is so important, even. When it doesn't, what you do doesn't make that great. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, I know what you're playing. I'd be playing in the bathroom because that was the only place that let me play the trumpet. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> and they come out, I remember how many times they go, what's that you're playing? I said, that was such and such. They go, okay. <laughs> Sometimes when you're in second chair positions, you're in a, place where you're doing something you go what is it that I'm really doing you're helping it all work together yes all work together yes. it's and it's it's not about big eyes and no. it's just about a team and we're working together yes and we're just supporting someone they asked now but are you the associate pastor they asked me this brother I go no I am the assistant to the pastor yes yes I want to do whatever 
I can't to help my pastor yes. and my pastor's wife yes. Yes. and their children and their family because they're the most precious people in my life. And I know you feel like that. Praise God. Come on now, give me a question. Not me. I, I do want to follow up with what you just said about the, the teamwork and something that just came to mind that, again, I, I'm learning, and that is uh, sometimes we don't fight for first chair, but we fight for first, second chair. I want to be the closest. I want to be the first, second chair. But if you really study that out, when you look at the second fiddle, many people can serve in the position of second fiddle, and no one second fiddle is more important than the other. The primary job of the second fiddle is to support the first fiddle. So it doesn't matter if you sit first chair, eighth chair, tenth chair. You have one purpose to support first chair. You have one purpose to support that first fiddle. So we don't need to fight one another for the, the hierarchy of, of oh, I'm, I'm above you and I have more authority than you know. There's one man who has veto power and his name is Ron Herring. Amen. And there's one man in our church, no matter who the minister is, that has veto power, and his name is Jim Blackshear. I am not the pastor. You are not the pastor, but we have the wonderful, beautiful opportunity of supporting our pastor. Come on now. I know there was a lot of thoughts in that, in that message. Somebody heard it out. Appreciate your yeah, and it's not it's not to, to deify the, the 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 man of God. Deify mean is make him godlike or put him on a pedestal that he never asked to be on. But it is important that that I consider that, and I want to make his life as easy as possible because, as I've uh, uh, said several times, he is going to stand before God and give an account. Scripture says it, and I want him to have clarity of mind when he's doing it. And I want it to bring a smile. And I, I certainly trust him with eternity. So I want to make sure that I'm not bombarding him with more than he really ought to be dealing with. There are some big boy decisions that I can make that will make his life easy. Yeah. And the important ones, I'm going to take him to him and I'm going to ask him about it. And so I know you feel that way about your pastor, but I just I really felt that. felt to share kind of my personal experience. Just because you've disagreed with your pastor before doesn't make you a horrible person. Right. right. It makes you human. Mm-hmm. And people don't like to accept the fact that they're human. This is really difficult for preachers. When we feel the anointing by the behind the pulpit and we come down off that, we realize, ah, oh, I'm not that spiritual warrior that I thought I was. I'm flesh. It's, it's discouraging sometimes, but the reality is, is there's a beauty in it. You're human. And simply disagreeing at times and never seeing eye to eye is not a bad thing. It's when we disobey and we yeah. refuse to submit. That's, that's when the problems arise. Yeah. But if we can just obey and submit, here's the deal. If you feel you're right, and, and I said even in some situations I, I didn't turn out to be right, God honored my decision 
to submit to my pastor anyway. Exactly. And had a funny way of working it out. Yeah. Because God honors leadership. Someone said this to me, and I'll, I'll say this and I'll be quiet, that God honors authority so much that he refused to let the children of Israel leave without Pharaoh's permission. Yeah, good point. He wasn't a godly man. No. He gave him a few opportunities, and then he hardened his heart because Pharaoh decided. But he still wouldn't let him leave until Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. That's how much God cares about authority. All right, last chance. thinking the same thing as he was laying out the points <laughs> yeah he didn't give me any notes i promise yeah he actually didn't tell me what to speak on so i was really in the dark i thought oh here we go <laughs> <laughs> faithful loyal teachable Being faithful, being loyal, being teachable, you can't go wrong. Submitting, admitting yes. when you are wrong, making it right. Amen. 90% of the issues we experience in this walk with God can be just absolutely taken care of if we just look at the way they, they did it. Praise God. There are some things that come out of the way and we don't, we didn't see it coming and life just happened. Yeah. It rains on the just and the True. But 90% of what we experience here are usually self-inflicted because we just don't take the time or we just refuse to obey. And it's not even sometimes open rebellion. Sometimes it's defiance. I would almost prefer to deal with open rebellion sometimes yeah. because at least it's out front right. and we know it. But defiance is, is when we nod it's our yeah. heads and we and, say and amen inside, yeah. and then we walk out the door and do the exact opposite. Ah. Because I know that those are the things that's going to get me into heaven. Praise God. So true. I couldn't help, brother, but thinking about Gehazi, how he had witnessed Naaman's leprosy departing. He was involved with Elisha during that great miracle. And then right afterwards, when the man of God said, no, we're not going to take anything for that. And he said, okay. Mm -hmm. And then he went. As you know in the story, he does the opposite of that and then thinks the pastor must be wrong. <laughs> Certainly God must want to bless us. Yeah. And and so he ends up getting leprosy. The leprosy that Naaman lost, he got. And it's it never ends up good. I promise you. You go against the man of God, there's scriptures to back that up. Touch not thine anointed. You go against God, I promise you, it never turns out well. You say, well, I'm right, and you might be. There's one particular instance with Elisha that, uh, um, you know, the making fun of the man of God and his bald head. Go up, bald ears. Then bears come out. Now, he looked at him, and he cursed him, but God sent the bears. Come on. It wasn't, it wasn't the prophet who killed those. And it, it, there, 
there's a lot of speculation of whether they were kids. It, it, some, some say it translated into men. It was the children of that particular day. But the reality is, is God sent them. That's how much he cares about the ministry. When people just making what they think is a funny joke. Amen to that. It angers him. And so many times people are devoured by their own mouth. There's one proverb that talks about, you know, you'll eat the fruit of your lips, your mouth. And so many times when we speak against the man of God, maybe we don't make the decision to openly rebel, but it's that silent rebellion, that defiance, that, uh, and I don't even know why I'm, I'm on this, but it just, it, it's so apparent in our hour and, and, and in our day and in our right. culture. Question everything, defy everything. Don't let anybody tell you how to feel. And the reality is there's safety in it. It's as if the man of God's holding up an umbrella and we're getting mad because you're impeding my view or you're, you're keeping me restricted or I, I don't feel like I'm free. And so when we defy or we make the decision to step out, we, we essentially take ourselves out from under the umbrella. And then we can't figure out why we're getting rained on. <laughs> why is my life falling apart? Yeah. Why is my marriage messed up even more so? Yeah. God, he said, you, you quoted it. He said, I will give you pastors after my own heart. Jeremiah 3 verse 15. So I'll do it. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, what's the pastor do? I'm not a cop again. <laughs> Brother Robbie, do it. Do, 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 do. Praise the Lord. Stand if you would, please. Brother Mulligan, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming from Anchorage. We have been so blessed. Amen. Um, shake hands, be friendly. We just, uh, I, we chose not to do, I guess, a potluck tonight, which we normally do, but we have been doing potlucks a lot lately. And uh, so shake hands with somebody. If you don't have to run off right away, visit for a few minutes, please. Shake Brother Mulligan's hand. God bless you. Jesus bless you.